John 3, 16 to 17, which states, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I want to encourage you, please open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible with you, grab a Bible that's in front of you in the chairs and the pews. Open up the Bible app on your cell phone or tablet, whatever you have. Turn the volume off. Stay off of Facebook, off Instagram, off your video games, your coloring apps, whatever. Let's give our full attention to God's word this morning. But open up God's word because I don't have it on the screen today. So you're going to need to have it open. Today, we are talking about salvation. We're talking about new life in John chapter three with week 10 or week eight of me preaching through this book of John, Believe and Live. I wanna thank Pastor Chuck, where is he at? There he is. I wanna thank Pastor Chuck for preaching for me, filling the pulpit for two weeks in a row while I was gone. It is a great blessing having, a, having an assistant pastor here, a youth pastor who can take things and run with it and do a good, a good job preaching God's word. But Chuck, I gotta tell you, it's not because you're good, right, Eldon? It's because God is good, amen? All right, I got a lot to say. I'm going to try and stick to my notes as much as possible today. But today, we look to the love of God. Within this, we're going to see five points of salvation. And actually, I want to change it already to say we are going to see five points on salvation. Because as we're seeing, as you should know, there is one way to salvation. One way only, one way to salvation. And that's the difference between Christianity and all the religion of the world. All these other religions of the world, they want to put all these, all these um, things, this checklist of things you have to do to reach an age of an enlightenment, to be good enough to reach heaven. But through us, through Christianity, through God's word, we know it's not about us. It's not about anything we do. It's all about God's love to us through Christ Jesus. It's all about grace. It's all about faith. And that's what we're talking about today. There's one way, only one way to salvation, God's love through Jesus. From God's love comes life, new life. And as I started this morning, I read from John 3, 16 and 17. In a world full of hopelessness, burdens, hurt, and pain, and many of you today, you're hurting, you're in pain, you're burdened by things which have happened recently in your lives. Or maybe, maybe it was years ago, and you've just struggled to get over it. I want to show you that in God's word, we can find encouragement, comfort, hope, and life. In John 3.16, we find that God's word still brings hope and life today. John 3.16, it's been known as one of the greatest verses. It's been known as one of the most famous verses in scripture. And this verse, it's found in sports stadiums. It's found on helmets of football players and baseball players. It's found in tattoos. It's found in the mainstay culture all around us. It's found in the pro wrestling world. But we must ask ourselves, do we understand the implications to our life? Do we understand what it really means? Are we treating John 3.16 and John 3 and all of God's word how God truly intends? Because as we see today from the story of Nicodemus, 
interviewing Jesus in a way, or at least that's how it starts, where see, there is a difference of having a knowledge of God and truly knowing God. You see, John 3.16 has been printed on t-shirts, stickers, and even the side of shoes. Maybe you saw that in the news recently. But are we applying Jesus' word to our lives, to our hearts, to our minds? As these words bring hope, they bring instruction for life, for new life, in a rebirth. And they bring hope. They bring us to a transformed life, one that focuses not upon our old flesh, but the newness of life in the Lord. One which helps us to focus on righteous living, not sinful living. There is one way, God's love, Jesus, rebirth. There's one way to heaven, one way to the Father. That's through Jesus. Speaking of one way, and before reading the story here found in John chapter 3, I have an illustration I'd like to share with you. You see, we just got back from Florida and on the way back, we made a bit of a road trip. We, we drove, um, in fact, that started on the way down. We took four nights to get all the way down to Florida, took our time. Part of that's having a baby. Part of that's just saying, we're going to take our time and enjoy this trip, not drive 12-hour days. We stopped by Nashville on the way down, spent a great time with my wife's aunt down there. We then went all the way down to Florida. And on the way home, we stopped by Memphis, Tennessee, and then St. Louis, but this illustration, it comes between, Saint, between Memphis, Tennessee, and St. Louis. Now, I must admit, I think my wife <clears throat> was a little bit irritated with me as she sees me getting up close to this semi-truck. You see, this picture I took, and I'm just going to admit, I don't think any of my police officer friends are in here right now. Yes, I snapped that picture while I was driving, but it was quick, I promise. But I think my wife was thinking, what are you doing? And I think she actually did verbalize those words. What are you doing? And then it continued, and she says, why are you taking a picture of a semi-truck? Like I said, it was a quick picture, I promise. And then when I told her the reason why, and I said, well, first of all, it's just a great picture to see on the back of a truck on the roadway for so many people to see. But secondly, I said, I've got a sermon illustration idea. That makes it all right, right? I think she kind of rolled her eyes at me. Here's the idea. You see, I want to use this illustration because I want to tell you a couple of things about it. First of all, as I see this picture, and all of us think, wow, that's awesome, right? When we see these things driving down the highway, we're like, Oh, cool, look at that bumper sticker. Honk if you love Jesus. Oh, that's great. We need one of them. We think, wow, I like that. Unless you're an atheist, then you think, oh, no, what do I do? I'm stopped at a red light, and I can't, I can't honk when it turns green. But here's the point. First of all, I saw this, and I thought, you know, it took somebody to write this message and draw that picture on that back of the semi. And do you notice how when they write that three, write that 16, draw those pictures of the crosses, where those letters are row, it makes it clean again. You can see the white that's underneath all that dirt. It made me think about how Jethel, the creator of that image, made that truck clean again. Our Lord, when he writes upon our lives, taking our sin away makes our lives clean. 
But here's the other idea I had with this. You see, this truck is going all over the world. Okay, well, maybe all over the state. I don't know. But they're going all over the state with this great message. God's love sends Jesus the one way to restoration and peace with the Father, to everlasting hope and life. They're sending this all over the state. This truck may go many places. It may go on many interstates, many highways, many roads. But unlike this truck, we know that we have one road to follow. And God gives us that road to redemption, to instruction for righteous living, to hope, to life, to future through Jesus. Jesus wants to write on our life just like that creator of that image wrote on the life of that semi-truck. And that might be a far stretch of using that illustration, but I think that's powerful. There's one way to salvation, one way to peace with the Father, one way to hope and life with him forever. That semi-truck may go many ways, but we need to look at our life and make sure we're going one way. And that's with Jesus. Follow his lead. Follow God's righteous way of living everywhere we go. From God's love comes life, new life through Jesus. Please follow along. Let's read from John chapter 3 about this new life. I don't have it on the screen again, so please follow along. I'm going to try and read my notes as much as possible because there's so much here. But we'll take some steps away from the scripture to talk about it just briefly at times. It starts like this. John chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And taking a step away, I just want to say this man is known to have been a wealthy, educated, powerful, and maybe even a very popular man. And in verse 2 it says, This man came to Jesus by night. Night. Why night? Let's take a break here. There's many different reasons or excuses or, or assumptions which might be made on why did Nicodemus come to Jesus by night? Now, you can look at two ends of the spectrum and you can see some negative reasons why he might have come and some positive reasons why he come, came to Jesus by night. And maybe there's a mixture of reasons, but here I honestly want to lean on the positive. You see, one negative that people assume or presume, or, or say, Nicodemus might have come to Jesus by night because of fear. What did we just read about him? He is a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, and maybe he didn't want to be seen in the daylight with Jesus. But then on the other side of the spectrum, when we look to why might he have come, maybe for good reasons, maybe it's because at nighttime is when the crowds would start to dwindle. The crowds would start to go home. The crowds would go get a meal or go back to their families. And Nicodemus could actually come close to Jesus and be heard. Or there's one other I'd like to share with you. You see, he, more from a historical context, he may have waited till night as this was a time often reserved in the coolness of night when theological discussions of the time would happen. Teachers would come together and talk about the law. So it could be a mixture of any one of those, but I do think all points are valid. I definitely think it's valid that if Nicodemus wanted to have this deep discussion with Jesus, he would wait till he there would be no interruptions. Let's get back to the text. It says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know 
Notice that, that those words. They say, we, Rabbi, we know. So I, I think Nicodemus, at least to start with, isn't just coming of his own accord. He's coming from the Pharisees as a group. Maybe he was, maybe he was already feeling convicted and saying, we need to go talk to this Jesus. Or maybe he was, maybe he was um, pushed into it. Maybe they drew straws, drew lots, and, and he just had the short straw. We don't know. But he says, we know. Is he speaking from a group? But he also comes to Jesus saying, Rabbi, a term of respect. They knew there was something great about this man, Jesus, but they didn't truly have a right image of who Jesus was, of who Jesus is. He continues on and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, and notice Jesus' answer kind of totally changes the direction of the conversation, but I think it's because of chapter 2, we'll read that Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. Jesus knows man, he knows exactly what's going on in this conversation. Jesus knows exactly what Nicodemus needs and what all of us need, and that's new birth, new life. Let's read on. Jesus changes the direction. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, again, notice, where'd this come from, huh? Nicodemus wasn't asking about being born. Jesus knew there was a greater need in this conversation, and he was going to direct Nicodemus to this need. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The, the, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now what Jesus is saying here is not, it's not, let me say again, it's not that we need a rebirth of our, from our mother's wombs. In fact, I think it, it illustrates, it shows just the lack of understanding, the great lack of understanding of Nicodemus here to even state something like that. To say, what are you saying, Jesus? That we must be born of our mother's womb? Isn't this impossible? What's going on? This is, this is crazy talk. Let's use our brains. There's, there's more to this discussion here. Jesus means that one must have a new birth from above. A spiritual cleansing by the word and spirit of God, by God's love through Jesus, as we see. We must worship him. Now, we think of that word, worship him. I've been stuck on this all week. Ever since um, Thursday morning Bible study with Tim Jacobson, it got brought up. I don't remember how, but we talk about worshiping the Lord. And when we talk about worship, we often think about raising our voices, using our instruments. But the true meaning or a meaning of worship is to bow down. That's what we need to do for the Lord. We bow before the Lord. Bow before Jesus as Lord. Let's read on. Nicodemus said to him, verse 9, How can these things be? 
And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Notice there's one way, one way. Again, that's the main idea today. That's what we're seeing. There's one way God's love brings life to us through Jesus, one way. And he's saying, just as this, this story from the law, from the Old Testament, from the book of Numbers, Moses lifting up the serpent to save the people. And that's a whole ser sermon itself. I encourage you to look it up. But the people had turned away from God. And God, God told Moses to make this serpent out of gold, to lift it up. And when they would look up to that, they would remember to, to turn their eyes back to God and they would be saved from their serpents. When the same way, Jesus must be lifted up. We must turn our eyes to him. We must bow to him in worship. We must turn our face to him and be saved from our disease, from the serpents of our life, from the diseases, from the venom, which kills us, which condemns us. Let's read on. There's so much here, like I said, but I must stay focused to get to those five points on salvation. Now we reach the famous section. Let's read this again. For God so loved the world, they gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So there's a lot here, but I do want to point out one thing that we don't point out enough. People are condemning themselves. People condemn themselves when they do not believe in the name of Jesus when they do not confess in Jesus as Lord. We live in a society which wants to point fingers and say, why are you condemning me? Why are you condemning me? How are you any better than me? We're not condemning. We're not judging. For God's word has already done the condemning, the judging, and told you a righteous way to live, a right way to live. And that's through Jesus and his righteous ways. And without, without following Jesus as Lord... This world condemns themselves. And we read on here to see it's because they desire the things of the darkness instead of the things of light. We read on in verse 19 saying, <coughs> excuse me, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Preached a sermon once on, on darkness and light. Darkness, conceal, darkness conceals, light reveals. That's why so many movies are so dark because the light would reveal the, how fake the, the scene is. 
The light would reveal what's really there. Well, those living in darkness hate to come to the light. It's hard. And maybe you've been there too. It's hard to walk in, in the light because then you can see and others can see how you've been living wrongfully. It continues on. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. And we finish with this verse. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, like I've said over and over again, there is a lot here. I want to encourage you, because we're just spending this one week here. One week. But there's so much more to the background and the history to who is this Nicodemus guy? And then who does he become? And we'll see that later on in the book of John. There's so much more to dig into with this scripture, even if we just want to take a break at that serpent illustration and go back to the book of Numbers and see what's going on there. I encourage you at home, be inspired. Go dig into scripture every day. Don't just wait till Sunday. But I started off saying there was going to be five points on salvation to take away from today's scripture. And we're going to get to those now, starting with this. One, salvation comes through Jesus, through Jesus alone, through Jesus alone. As we see from scripture today, this interview and elsewhere, this discourse in all of God's scripture, it points to Jesus as the savior of the world, the Messiah. And although the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the world that day wanted a different type of Messiah, they wanted a Messiah judge to come in and condemn Rome, not to condemn sin and make a new way for life. We know that we need new life in Christ. We need to be reborn from above through him. We need to have our lives transformed. More on that in a moment. There is but one way to salvation. Remember that semi-trailer illustration? Christ alone, the one who endured the wrath of God, who paid the penalty for our sin, he is the way. Although that semi-trailer may go all over the world with that, that picture on the back of it, with our lives, we need to realize we can't try and find our own ways to salvation. There's one way to life and hope, and that's through Jesus. Paul says in Romans 5, 1 to 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, faith alone, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Christ alone. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Do you do that? Do you, re, do you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, the hope of being in his presence forevermore? You're not condemned unless you're condemning yourself. God has sent a way to salvation. And salvation comes through Jesus, Jesus alone, by faith, by grace, by God's love, which brings me to number two. Salvation is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. In Ephesians 8, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I see my typo up there. It says, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Wow. What a great gift this is. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about those wow moments as a kid. 
Maybe you can visualize this with me. Maybe you remember when you were a kid on Christmas morning or on your birthday. And it, it all starts the moment you walk down the stairs sometimes, depending on where your Christmas tree might be, if you have one. And you see those gifts under the tree. And the moment you walk down as a kid, visualize this. You, you see this, or maybe you've heard this as a parent. You think, wow, mom, dad, look at all those gifts. Whoa, look at the big one. Look, my parents tried to wrap that bicycle, but that's the bicycle I wanted. Remember those wow moments? That's the type of appreciation we should have for this gift from God. As we read this scripture, as we see how God works in our life through Christ, bringing restoration between us and the Father in heaven, bringing a future filled with hope and joy and love and peace, we should say, wow, look at all God has done for me, for you. In fact, there's a new way of witnessing to people. Talk to them about your wow moment. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Number three, moving forward, salvation from God through Jesus leads to a new and transformed life. I read a quote just yesterday in a devotion I'm reading, which put it this way. It is God's love through Christ that is a missing puzzle piece for all those who have yet to follow him. Oh, don't you hate it when you put together a puzzle and you're missing that one piece? One piece. I spent months putting together this puzzle. If you're like me, years, because I don't care for puzzles much. But maybe you're that person that spent, I say, I spent all day, and then you don't have that one piece. You feel like life is meaningless. Oh, what do I do now? Do I just tear it apart? Jesus is that missing puzzle piece which makes our lives transformed, new, and complete. Complete. Salvation through Jesus brings a complete, completeness of living. That was number four. I skipped together and brought them both together, but it's okay. Number five. God's redemption, salvation through Jesus is patient. But I want you to see this next part. But time will end soon. We must worship, bow down, and follow Jesus today. And I want to assume that everyone in here has done that. But statistically, it shows that not everybody has. But you can take it another step and you can say, you know somebody who hasn't. What's preventing us from showing them the love of Jesus? Our own pride, not wanting to feel awkward, being afraid of putting ourselves down and maybe we won't know an answer to a question. We need to start giving a little more control over to God. We need to bow before him and give him all the control. If God wants this person to hear the word and to know the word, he's going to deliver the word through you. And if you make a fool out of yourself, it's okay. Because in reality, you are serving God through doing it. And that is good. 
2 Peter 3, 9-10 tells us, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all, that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a war, and the heavenly bodies will burn we burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We live in a period of God's grace, of mercy, of peace. But we should not take that for granted, for the time of judgment will come in like a thief. And we're condemning ourselves. People are condemning themselves when God has given us the way, the way, the only way, the one way to hope and life and salvation through his love, through Jesus. Finally, number six. Okay, nobody caught on. Number six. Yes, I said there'd be five points on salvation, but here's a bonus one. Salvation leads to hope. You're welcome. Yes, I gave you a bonus one. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This life is filled with many hurts, Troubles, burdens, pain. But despite the pain and hurting, we may still be joyful. We may rejoice in knowing that to live is Christ and to die is gain also because we have a better future awaiting all of us. As John Piper said this in a devotion I was reading, he says, hurting and joy are not opposites. They're not contrary. They can exist at the same time but only through living in Christ, through the new transformed life and hope that he brings, may we be joyful during those times. Being born again is what allows us to begin to understand and enter the kingdom of God. Have you been born again? How about your family? How about your friends? How about your neighbors? What are we doing to focus on the new life? We're going to have a closing challenge here for a moment for something for you to do at home this week. And I hope you take the challenge seriously and do it. You see, in the end, all people will fall into two classifications, two categories. You're either born again and saved or not born again and doomed. Which category will you be in? Born again and saved or not born again and doomed? Have you repented of your sin? And that, that's a fancy word. It just means, have you turned away from the old life, from sin, asked God's forgiveness and bowed before him, asked him to be your Lord, committed to him your life, turned from sin and turned to the newness of life, completeness in him? Do you still worship him today? What's stopping you? Do it every day of your life. Don't condemn yourself. Also, don't condemn others. Too often we condemn others as we're not, we're not obeying the Spirit's guidance or leading, telling us, go talk to him. Go talk to her. Don't condemn others and don't allow them to condemn themselves. Either show them the light of Christ that lives in your life and believe and live. Believe and live. That's what this whole book of John is about as we look to the life of Christ. And here's that closing challenge. And I didn't make this up. I found it in a book, a commentary, and I just loved it, so I had to share it with you. Hey, Chuck, it was a youth pastor Bible study book, by the way. I should show it to you. Not saying you need it. Enough said. Anyways, this week, I want you to make a chart 
by taking a piece of poster board or a piece of paper, or if you're Chuck, he loves dry erase boards. Take a dry erase board and divide it down the middle. Labeling one side deeds of light and the other side deeds of darkness. And at the end of each day, just think about your day and chart your conversations, your actions, your attitudes, and your thoughts. And determine to each situation, where does this go on this chart? Was this of darkness, of light? Was it somewhere in the middle, somewhere of neutral? Determine if they were of the newness of life or of the old flesh. Determine if your daily life is honoring Christ, honoring God, and pointing the light of Christ into the world. Or are you still in some ways devoted to darkness? And then wondering, God, why don't I see you working in my life more? Because God never leaves you. He never forsakes you. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come into you at a point of salvation and then leave you. He's there. If there's anything wrong with your life after salvation, it's the fact that you're not giving him room. You're not looking to him. You're not living according to his ways. Or you're trying to control things that only God should be controlling. We have a newness of life. We've been transformed. We've been reborn. And we are complete in the Lord. Let him work in your daily life. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the one way. We thank you for your love. For from your love comes life, hope, peace, joy, self-control, and so much more. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you that we're never alone. We thank you for you making us more into the image of Jesus every day of our lives, and we look forward to that everlasting life and perfect bodies that we'll have in your presence someday. Sustain us and provide us for us today. Be the refuge that we need. Help lead us as we show the world messages like John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, that the world might live. It's in your holy and powerful name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Please stand, let's worship together in this final song. Amazing grace, my chains are gone.
can never truly worship the Lord without bowing to Him as Lord. I encourage you, maybe today you're thinking there's things I've been holding on to, trying to control myself when I should be bowing before the Lord and asking His help, asking for His glory through it. Lord, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the life you've given us. I thank you for we are not alone. And Lord, I just pray over this congregation. I pray over my own life as well. Lord, I pray for your glory in all things. May our lives glorify you. May our actions, our thoughts, our attitudes, all we do may bring glory to your name. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. Our chains are gone. We're not in bondage any longer. We're not in chains. We're not condemned for we have newness of life through your love, through Jesus. Lord, we bow before you today and we give you our lives. We give you control and we just say, Lord, take it. Take us, use us. Give us our daily bread and whatever else we need, whatever else we think we need, may we just go to you in prayer and seek your kingdom every day of our life. In your holy and powerful name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us in worship today. Go in peace. God's peace.